The Chet Kavik Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where a Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kavik and Lester Munson. Welcome once again. Uh, no, it's not about Clarence Darrow. It's not about uh, the Supreme Court, although at times we do enter into the uh, area of the most august body. Welcome to uh, Sports Court with the... Uh, Pride and joy of ESPN, Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kopic right here in Chicago. Hey, Lester, right off the top, uh, you have a brand new angle regarding the Bowl Championship Series, which everybody hates, but everybody loves to uh, argue about. But tell the House what is going on and potentially where the BCS may be going. Uh, the, there was a subcommittee of the United States House of Representatives that, by voice vote, overwhelmingly passed a bill the bill was written by a Texas congressman named Joe Barton. He's a Republican. He's a football fan. He wants to make it illegal to use the term national championship unless it comes in a single elimination tournament. In other words, he wants to use the federal law to make a football tournament at the end of the year mandatory. It would put the BCS completely out of business. This guy has been campaigning for this for two years. He has now decided to push the bill through. We don't know if he's going to make it. We do know that the President of the United States, if the bill came to him, would sign it in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. He's on record on 60 Minutes on CBS. He has talked about it on ESPN uh, with us. Uh, he would sign that bill in a second. So we have that uh, moving along now uh it was just sitting there for a long time, but now it is moving. Here is what I've never understood about uh, the BCS. I understand the bowl promoters, Cotton Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl. They do not want the single elimination tournament. They want the sanctity of their bowls to be protected. That being said, who's stronger, CBS, Fox, ESPN, ABC? Who's stronger, television or the bowls? I mean, historically... You would think that television would win any battle it would want, and you would wind up with a tournament for uh, the crowning of a legitimate national uh, football champion. It's hard to imagine that these BCS guys, and it's a group of old coaches and typical kind of bowl people in their blue blazers and their orange blazers. In other words, a lot of guys you don't want to be around during a weekend. Exactly. <laughs> um, somehow these guys have uh, completely... Uh, stopped the television networks from getting this. They made the deal with us at ESPN, 400 or $500 million now to do BCS games. I'm sure that would come to an end quickly if there were to be a tournament. But you're exactly right. You would think TV should win this one. They would want the elimination tournament. It would probably double the size of the audience. And instead, we have these bowl games, Tostitos and Weed Killer and all the other bowls uh, that we put up with each year. I've oftentimes thought, uh, Lester, that the two most important uh, uh, occurrences in the history of the Western Hemisphere are the arrival of the uh, Pilgrims and the Poland Weed Eater Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> With the logo on the 50-yard line. No, yes. you're, I mean, this is, this is crazy. I mean, go ahead and play your bowl games and then, and then take your number one and number two team and have a two-week hiatus play the ball game at the Superdome in New Orleans, the game would do a rating that would just vault through the roof, for heaven's sakes. It just makes sense for everybody. And then you hear 
you hear the very pristine chancellors and school presidents talking about we we can't have our student athletes yeah. being taken away from the academic environment when the fact is the alumni could care less about the academic environment. And probably the presidents could care less about the academic environment. They're interested in the money that football produces. When you get into a bowl game, there is money that comes to your conference, there is money that comes to your school, and it makes everybody feel real good about everything. Does it surprise Lester Munson that um, the Chicago Bulls are amongst the uh, top five most valuable franchises in the NBA? According to um, a survey I have here, the Bulls are worth $511 million. Now, I maintain, Lester, that might actually be low. They own the building. They own the parking. They own the concessions, etc., etc. Doesn't 511 large sound a little bit low to you? It could be low, and even though it is a very bad team, fans continue to flock to that building. They come, they look at the Michael Jordan statue, they watch all of the entertainment uh, that occurs when they're not playing basketball. Everybody has a rollicking good time, and the owners are collecting every minute that those fans are there, just as you say, from the parking, the food, everything. All those ads that you see around the United Center, all of them are going straight to the Bulls and the Blackhawks. So, yeah, I think Forbes might be a little low. Here is the genius of LeBron James. This uh, survey via, of course, uh, Forbes magazine, uh, Lakers now listed as the number one most valuable franchise in the NBA. The Knicks, despite uh, uh, a decade and a half of misery, are ranked number two. The Cleveland Cavaliers are number four, uh, listed at $479 million. You know what that tells me? LeBron James is the most underpaid athlete in sports. He probably is, but when you look at all those that are at the top, it's exactly what you diagnosed earlier, and that is that they have the good deals in which they own the building, they're paying themselves rent, they not only make money on the team, the parking and the concessions, they make money on the real estate. That applies to all four of these franchises who are in those top five as evaluated by Forbes. So the Cleveland Cavaliers, in fact, can pay rent at their own building. You have two separate entities. There are two separate. And meanwhile, entities. the rest of us jerks all have to pay taxes. <laughs> Chet, the, the 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 tax advantages of owning a team and owning your building and paying rent, you you can barely take them all in a single year. There are so many of them. The only thing that would stop them uh, from taking more advantages is there's a limit on how much income actually comes in. But that produces the value of these teams. Uh, Lester, here is a major shock to me. Um, knowing their proud history going back to the uh, 40s, the 50s, whatever. Son of a gun. More thuggery at Michigan State. <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> the alma mater of Plaxico Burris. <laughs> and now we have the immortal running back, Glenn Winston. This is the guy who did four months in the county jail for fracturing the skull of a hockey player whom he sneaked up on, a Michigan State hockey player. He gets out of jail, and literally on the same day he's back at football practice, the coach, D'Antonio, welcomes him back. He never apologized to anybody. He played this entire season. And then, get, can you imagine this? He now, the other night, leads a charge on an African-American fraternity on the campus. Nine guys are arrested, and now finally Michigan State found a way to kick this guy out of school. All right, uh, a gentleman that you may know about, uh, Eldrick Tiger Woods, lives down in this uh, gated community in Wintermere, uh, Florida. Uh, one of his gals, in fact, the first gal he was with, has gone on deadspin.com. 
and said that she has been paid by Tiger Woods to line up babes for uh, the world's greatest golfer. Does that, in fact, make Tiger Woods Elliot Spitzer? Does it make him a John? Does it make him in any way legally vulnerable? It puts him definitely in the Elliot Spitzer category. There's no question about that. It technically I, I, I just is... hope he wasn't getting it on with his, you know, his black high top socks on. I'm, that's, <laughs> every time I think about that, you know, that's that's kind of ugly. I mean, that's even worse than Marv Albert having his wig pulled off by his dominatrix. Oh, that was so wonderful! <laughs> one of the wasn't highest, great one story? of the great moments in sports history. Wasn't that? Do you, do you remember how many writers the New York Post sent to cover that story? Are you kidding? I sat there in that trial. I sat behind the row of New York Post. I, I'm I'm working for CNN and Sports Illustrated. One guy. You know, they had six. They had six. And that was one of the greatest stories ever told in a courtroom. I mean, just uh, marvelous. Y- just marvelous. You know who earned her bones in New York with that, with that story? Andrea Pacer. Yeah. At oh, the yeah. Post. I mean, she, she yeah. literally made herself yeah. with that story. That was a great story. And the, and then, and then Albert had his entire family there. And they come <laughs> out, out of the courtroom. And they're all explaining to us, wait a minute, it couldn't have happened that way. It's not a toupee. It's a weave. You cannot pull it off. That was, that was their answer. That was their answer. And they were serious. And, and you could, I, I, I burst out laughing. You shouldn't do that. You know, you're talking, you're trying to interview somebody. I, I couldn't believe it. What, 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 Arlington, Virginia, one of the great trials of all time. I, at what point do, um, uh, legal authorities in Florida find themselves under pressure to go back and determine why, uh, the police acted so slowly in the case of Tiger Woods, given the fact that, uh, uh, a golf club can be, uh, uh, visualized as a weapon? Uh, he knocked over, uh, and created damage on the property of another person. Is is this story going to uh, going to get gummier? And there are, are there going to be people involved of a legal or uh, or public nature who are going to wind up on the spot with this thing? I think when you look at it, Chet, the police pulled up short on this. They didn't do the things to Woods that they would do to any one of us if we were in the same situation. The state attorney, the duly appointed prosecutor of that county, refused to authorize a blood test in a situation in which clearly uh, something was wrong with this guy. Painkiller, alcohol, who knows what it was, but it's the kind of thing where a blood test should have been done in the hospital. And the state attorney said, no, we don't want to do it. So somehow... Tiger Woods, you're in Florida. Right now, law enforcement is not doing a great job on this. If some aggressive prosecutor somewhere wants to take a look at it, there's something to see. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Uh, Lester, I'm really kind of uh, reaching with this one, but when I hear no blood test ordered, and here is a guy who was rumored to be utilizing Vicodin. He may have been drunk. He was found lying on the ground. Snoring, and there is no blood test. Doesn't that sound like Parkland Hospital, November 22nd, 1963, and doctors performing this rather quickie autopsy on a gentleman by the name of John Fitzgerald Kennedy? It really does, and we will probably start hearing about a grassy knoll in the area where he was found on the pavement. It, it's the kind of thing that makes you wonder. It's the kind of thing that makes this much, much worse for Woods, for his entire organization, for his sponsors. They really need to get all of this somehow under control, try to explain it, 
have Woods talk to somebody, even a one-on-one interview. But that's apparently not going to happen. It's got, this story is going to continue to simmer and at some point boil over again. If we could uh, turn back the hands of time to uh, the day following the occurrence, if Woods would have uh, gotten down on his hands and knees, told the court of public opinion, I have made mistakes, you may hear more about transgressions on my part. I am so deeply sorry. I have embarrassed myself. Wouldn't we be talking right now about Phil Mickelson? I think that's exactly right. If he had done that, and then he takes Elon and the children and his mother and his mother-in-law, and they go to that island in Sweden that they own, 59 acres, he completely vanishes. There's not a network in the United States is going to stake him out on that island in Sweden. You can't get there anyway. It's a <laughs> private island. Uh, how and how he's got IMG. He has Mark Steinberg. He has all these brilliant people around him. Why that hasn't happened? Uh, the, the only possible explanation is he just won't do it. I'm Tiger Woods. I'll do what I want. I'm not doing a press conference. I'm not doing an interview. I can't stand these people. I shouldn't have to do it. You know that that was originally my thought. But then thinking to myself, this guy is no dummy. He went to Stanford. He is a remarkably bright man. At some point, you would think Tiger would realize, hey, even though I have the greatest short game since, uh, I don't care, you know, Billy Casper or Gary Player or or whomever, I can't win this battle. He he should know that, uh, and you're right. He is smart. He he is. I think he has smart people around him. I'm sure he's getting some advice that tells him to do some of these things that we are talking about, and somehow he has decided he will not do it. He he has been riding so high for so long, he thinks he's bulletproof. Obviously now he is not. Uh, and, and, and this whole thing about some deep principle of privacy, Aww. now we know why he wanted privacy. He had plenty to be private about. So that's not going to go anywhere. Lester, uh, hey, hey, holy mackerel, no doubt about it. The Cubs are going nowhere fast. Uh, <laughs> they can't move Milton Bradley. How much ill will, in your opinion, did uh, Tom Ricketts, the uh, the brand-new frontman, brand-new owner of the Chicago Cubs, create by raising, arbitrarily raising, half of all Cub tickets and raising them, in some cases, significantly, as much as $12 per ticket per ball game? Without gathering up a small group of the media corps and, and explaining what his motivation was, I mean, this was written out of the blue by Paul Sullivan in the Tribune on a Friday. Yeah. And in my opinion, fans who attend Cub games haven't even seen Tom Ricketts, and they already hate Tom Ricketts. You, you can see that Ricketts is missing something here. He's missing a guy like John McDonough, the marketing genius who was working for the Cubs for so long and is now guiding uh, the renaissance of the Blackhawks. If McDonough had been in charge, it would have been a gradual process. The ticket price would not have come as a big surprise. They not only did it on a Friday, they did it on the day before the stuff was arriving in your mail yeah. for your season tickets. They're gouging the people on the platinum games. They are the highest price category of games. Not only did they make more platinum games and fewer of the silver games, they raised all those prices of the uh, of the premium games. So he he needs somebody. He's hired some guy to do marketing, but uh, he needs to do a little more. Lester, for gosh sakes, infield terrace boxes, which I I don't even know what infield terrace boxes are for heaven's sakes, seventy one bucks a copy for yeah. thirty platinum games. Now you're a party of four. 
That's 284 bucks just to buy tickets. Then you get to park your car with some, you know, some jamoke around the yeah. block who's going to leave it looking like it, uh, uh, hit turn three at Talladega by the time you get back for your ride home. That's going to cost 35 bucks. By the time you get done with beer, hot dogs, uh, pop, you buy a couple of caps, a couple of t-shirts. It's, 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 it's a one foot putt, $500 day. Easy. I, I would suggest this. Unless you have a game one, six, two, a playoff, winner take all. There is no major league baseball game on God's earth during the regular season worth 500 bucks. I, th- I think they've pushed this just about to the limit. They they sold just about every seat last season with a bad team. They seem to think they can sell any seat at any price. They are now testing the limits of that market, and at a certain point, they're going to go a little too far. And maybe Ricketts needs to take another look at this, have somebody look at it who understands selling and marketing and the value uh, of a game at Wrigley Field. Back to Forbes. Let me give you a wrap-up here on Sports Court. According to Forbes, eight NBA basketball teams lost money in 2008-2009. Do you buy that? Do you think it's legitimate? I don't. No, I don't. I think the NBA has a very good union contract. I think the union contract is set up so that it's almost impossible for an owner to lose money given the economics of the NBA. Uh, I know that Forbes has to rely on certain kinds of information. These owners, as we all know, they have one way of looking at it where they always lose money. There's another way to look at it where they're making all sorts of money. So, no, I don't buy that for a minute. This, my friends, is where the smoke-filled rooms come to life once again. He is ESPN legal expert Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kopik. We're in Chicago, and we will catch you in uh, seven days for more of the stuff you just don't get anywhere else.